let's take our Bibles. Our study this morning is from a book of the Bible that we don't read very often. The book of Haggai. How many have had intensive study in the book of Haggai in the past year? How many know that Haggai is in the Old Testament? Good. All right. Haggai, the book of Haggai. Third to last book. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Or you can go to Matthew and drop back three books. But the book of Haggai. It's a short book. It's written by a prophet who was one of the last voices for the Lord before the 400 years of silence that is between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. So there's 400 years where the Lord doesn't talk. People are very indifferent to God, but Haggai is one of the last prophets before that time. He ministers about 500 years before Jesus comes, so about 100 years before God goes silent, and he's one of the last voices. He uh, serves during the reign of Persian King Darius. You see that in verse 1. And at this time, we know historically that Israel had been divided into two nations, Israel, ten tribes to the north, Judah, ten tri- two tribes to the south. Both of the nations had rebelled against God. Israel had been carried into captivity, and Judah had been carried into captivity. The people had refused to listen to God. They had refused to yield to him. There was great stubbornness and great pride, and God finally had disciplined them uh, because he was so displeased with them, and they just were not willing to listen. Now, Haggai enters the picture as a remnant of people is coming back to Judah. So the lower two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, this is where Jerusalem is in Judah. And he comes back, as they come back, uh, they find Jerusalem torn down and in disrepair. And and really, there is nothing going on. There's no formal worship. There's no uh, real sense of community at all because the nation has been torn apart and still many people are in captivity. So Haggai's message and his ministry is not easy. Like some of the prophets that went before him, Isaiah and Jeremiah, there, there was really little people to talk to and little interest in what he had to say. But Haggai has a word from the Lord. And we see that in this text this morning when he gets a word from the Lord to give to the people. I ran across this passage earlier this week, and uh, I just, before we begin a new series, Lord willing, next week, I just felt like the Lord was giving this to us and was calling us uh, to hear it as a word, not only for us as individuals, uh, but for us as a church at the start of this new year, because this text that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at a a couple different verses here, uh, this text really reminds us and gives us an advanced picture, so to speak, of the incredible potential that God has for our lives and the incredible potential that God has for this church. Now, I sensed this morning as I stood at the back for the first couple songs that that maybe we're having a little trouble getting going today, right? We know that it's going to be like 475 degrees below zero by about 10 o'clock tonight. So we're struggling with that a little bit. And we've kind of have the, the end of Christmas, New Year doldrums. We've maybe put the tree away. Or if you haven't, you better water it because it's shedding needles. And it's kind of that the bills are coming in. And we're just kind of looking at it. And, and there's 
gray every day, and maybe there's some residual carryover kind of uh from last year. Everybody say uh, right? You felt that a little bit? So, so we're kind of struggling to get going a little bit, trying to, struggling to be excited, and we're telling ourselves it's 120 days till spring or whatever, but spring doesn't feel anywhere in the same, you know, universe right now. But God has a word for us, and there is incredible potential for what God wants to do. And while we may still be stuck in kind of whatever happened in 2013, God has fresh mercy for us this year, just like he had fresh mercy for us this morning. And I don't know about you, but I needed some fresh mercy this morning. I needed God to be prepared this morning for my life and whatever I'm going to face and whatever I'm going to deal with. So when I read this text, I get very, very excited. Even though it's unfamiliar and maybe a little bit obscure to us, but the word of the Lord is living and active and his promises are sure. And he has a message for us this morning from the book of Haggai. I know that's hard to believe, but it is true. How many say amen to that? God has a word for us from the book of Haggai. So let's read it. We're going to read some verses here. We're going to start with with, I hate to say this, kind of the negative, all right, the gentle indictment that God gives to the people. And then we're going to move right into the positive and see how gracious and wonderful God is and how this applies to us in this year, all right? Chapter 1 of the book of Haggai, there are only two chapters, start in verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, this is for us too, consider your ways. You've sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. Amen to that. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, which each of you, while each of you runs to his own house. Now, again, we're starting a little bit with the negative, but I want you to notice that in the discipline of the Lord, he's still patient. He's still gracious. He's still kind. He's still long suffering. How many of you experienced that in your life? That God is gracious and he's patient. I'm so glad God's patient with me because if he was impatient, I would be in a little fetal ball in my sin. God is patient and he's gracious and he's so kind and compassionate even when we're guilty. And Judah is nothing but guilty. So look at what he says to them. Look at what had happened as a result of their sin against God. Start in verses 2 to 3. He says, the house of the Lord, the temple, is severely damaged and desolate. Verse 4, he says, the people, you guys, have had uh, done nothing about it. You've gone on with your lives. You've acted like it's not a big deal. In verse 6, he says, you've sown a lot. In other words, you've done a lot of things but there has been little to show for it spiritually. You've sought the wrong things. You've been self-indulgent. You have been been spiritually dry. Verse 8 says, you haven't sought to honor me or to glorify me in in any way. And yet, verse 9, you expect me to help you. You keep expecting me to help you, even though you'll do nothing for me. 
My temple's in disrepair. You walk by it every day. You don't care about it. You're not seeking me. And yet you still expect me to do for you. So here's how I've responded. Look at 10 and 11. We didn't read them. He says, you've got drought. I haven't blessed you. Drought is always a sign of a lack of blessing, a lack of of God working. So he says, you have drought. There's barrenness and there's and there's lack of rain because you've stopped walking with me and stopped being faithful to me. Now, we don't know the definitive reason that they've done this, but it is the reality. Now, that's that's all the negative. OK, we had two minutes of negative. Now we're going to have a whole bunch of positive. Because the Lord says, even though this is the case, I haven't given up on you. Even though. You are barren and dry and you don't care and there's drought and my temple's in disrepair. Guess what? I haven't given up on you. In fact, here's what I want you to do. Look back at it. He says it twice. He says, consider your ways. In other words, the word means to look inwardly at your heart and outwardly at your life and to question and analyze why has there not been an abundant harvest? Because I want to do a work. Maybe there's no harvest because you've been content to let the temple lie in disrepair. Or maybe you're feeling sorry for yourself still as you come back from your captivity and you're just kind of moping. Or, or maybe you're just dull and lifeless and you have other priorities. You know, anytime we're dull in our lives, anytime there's not a lot of fruit coming out, we need to assess where we are with the Lord. And we can't be too proud to say, I'm fine. Like we tell people, how are you doing? I'm fine. My life's in crisis, but I'm fine. It's it's good. If we're not bearing fruit, if there's not something come out of our lives, then we better analyze where we are with the Lord. And that's what the Lord's calling to do right now, because he says, I have a purpose. And if you will respond and you will take action, I will work in a mighty way. And here's where it's going to start. Go back to the verse about the temple here. He says, this is my holy place, the place of my presence, the place of my leadership among you. And the fact that it's in disrepair and you're okay with that indicates a significant problem. So he says to the prophet Haggai, tell the people, it's time to rebuild the temple. It's time to get your act together and time for you to go and say, you know what? We're not content with it being like this. We're not content with it being in disrepair. We're not content with showing indifference to the Lord. It's time for us to respond. And if you look at verse 12, that's exactly what happens. It says the people start to show reverence for the Lord. That means fear and respect. And they start to get their hearts right. And they start to obey him. And they begin to rebuild the temple. It didn't take much. Now, here's where the promises of God start pouring out. And one of the things I want us to be amazed by this year, one of the things I want to realize again and again in my life is that God is willing and ready to help us and to bless us. God is willing and ready to help us and to bless us. His mercy is abundant and his love is overflowing. And that shows itself with how generous he is with his promises and how faithful he is to fulfill them. 
Nothing had gone right with Judah for hundreds of years. You can go all the way back to the time of King David. They only had about six kings after David, and they probably had 23 or 24. I forgot to check. Probably 23 or 24 kings after David, and only about six of them did anything good and tried to bring any kind of reform. And then they're carried into captivity. Israel was worse. Israel had exactly zero good kings after David. And they were in constant rebellion. And they were carried into captivity. And God could have looked at it and said, what a horrible, horrible thing that has happened. It would be logical that we would say, God would just say, you know what? The people don't want to follow me. And they're not sincere. And they don't care. And I'm done with it. But that's not what happens. He gives this word, if you look back at verse 1, in the second year of Darius the king on the first day of the sixth month. Let's assume for the sake of argument that's our June 1st. By the time he gives the word, we're going to look at in a minute, chapter 2, verse 19. It's the 24th of September. So in three and a half months, God goes from saying, you have allowed my temple to be in disrepair to the great promise that he's going to give in just a minute. God is gracious. God is willing to work. And we can't say, well, he did that because he knew the people were going to turn around and they were going to stay consistent. They weren't. They turn around for a while. They stop ignoring him. They get their lives straight. And then they turn away again and follow after other gods. And God goes silent for four centuries until the word comes to Zacharias in the temple. You're going to have a son and he's going to pave the way for the one who's going to come who is the Savior. God did this because he's gracious. He's willing to fulfill the promises. He's willing to bless the people, even though he knows they will turn. And here's what's so exciting to us. These same truths and these same promises are not exclusive to Judah. They apply just as much to us, which means that whatever we read in just a minute, we can also reap in our own lives. And I want to tell you, there is nothing better than the unfailing promise of God. There are a lot of things that we can look at this year that we cannot rely on, but there is one thing that we can always trust, and that is God is always faithful to his promises. Always, always, always. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want to rely on this year. There are some amazing realities here in the book of Haggai, and we're going to look just a couple minutes each at four Awesome assurances from the Lord. And then at the end, before we pray, there's one significant spiritual challenge to us. Okay? Grab a piece of paper. Grab a pen. Take some notes. Let's interact with the text a little bit. Because God wants to tell us some things this morning. Let's start chapter 1, verse 13. Four promises that God gives to us. Chapter 1, verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying... I am with you, declares the Lord. Go to chapter 2, verse 4. But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work. Tell me the next sentence. For I am with you. Everybody say it together. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made when you came out of Egypt, my spirit's abiding in your midst. Do not fear, 
But thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. I'll shake all the nations and they'll come with the wealth of all the nations. And I'll fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver's mine, the gold's mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Promise number one, the Lord tells his people, I am with you. I am with you. Stop and let that get into your heart for a minute. Because that is one of the greatest promises and greatest facts in the whole Bible. The God of universe that we just sang about, the Lord of all creation, the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, all those words we sang about the Lord, the video that we saw about the power and the authority of God, that God is with us. And when our hearts are right and we're seeking his face, he vows, he promises, his promises are unalterable, his promises are unbreakable, he vows to be with us. Whatever you're dealing with this morning, whatever we're going to face in the new year, we have to take comfort in that truth. This is why prayer meeting is so important to this church, because even though God promises to be with us, we can't just take that for granted and say, well, okay, he's going to be with us. So we'll just go on like nothing else. We have to constantly abide in his presence and fellowship with him and call on his name. And when we do that, listen, now there is comfort and strength and confidence that he is with us. You will have no greater strength this year than the strength of having the Lord as your strength. Everything else will be inferior. Everything else will fall away. But you will never have more power and more security and more strength than when you abide in his presence. Everything we do this year, individually as in a church, it cannot be by our strength. That's an oxymoron. I have no strength. God says, not by your might. Not by your power, but by what? Tell me. My spirit. So if we try to go forward and say, well, I'm going to conquer the world this year and I'm going to do it and I'm going to get through my problems. I'm going to solve this and that. And, and, and I know what I'm doing. God just looks at us and goes, what are you talking about? You have no clue. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't hold tomorrow in your hands. I do. Why don't you live by my spirit? And that's where you'll find contentment. Because if you keep trying to do it on your own, it's going to fail. And notice the strength in his presence and power. Go to chapter two, verse four. Leads us to fulfill his commission. He says, take courage and work. There is no courage if he's not with us. But it's not just about resting in him. He's given us work to do to serve and minister in his presence And it is time to get busy. Take courage and get to work, he says. Take courage and get to work. I know 2013 was hard for a lot of us, but he doesn't want us to keep resting in 2013 and transitions and difficulties and trials. He says, I have a work ahead of you. Now take courage and get to work. Take courage and get going. Why? Because I'm with you. Second, would you see in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, my spirit is abiding in your midst. 
This is different than the first promise because of that verb abiding. It shows the personal nature of the Lord and the measure of his grace. Now, here's the greatness of this promise. There are two reasons why this promise, my spirit is abiding in your midst, is great. First of all, he mentions the Holy Spirit here, even though he's not yet, quote unquote, been sent. But here, let's take the mystery out of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the Father. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Son, Jesus Christ. They are one God. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's not like, it is the Spirit of God. So when God says, my Holy Spirit, because God's Spirit is always holy, he says, my Holy Spirit will abide in your midst. And that's where the greatness of this promise is really magnified. Because a lot of times when we think about the God of the Old Testament, what do we think about? We get the mental picture of, of uh, Renaissance art where he's on a cloud with a beard and a robe and kind of reaching like this, right? That is a picture in our head when we think of God the Father. We can picture Jesus on the cross. We have no concept of what the Holy Spirit is. But when we think of God the Father, we are influenced by what we have seen. And we see him as mighty and powerful, and he is. And a lot of people look at the God of the Old Testament. They say, well, he's judgmental, and he's distant, and, and he's harsh, and whatever. Let me tell you, nothing's further from the truth. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. God appeared to Abraham in the desert. Jesus did. God God met with Moses on Sinai. He descended into the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and ministered to the people. Jesus was in the fiery furnace with Daniel. Listen, God has never been distant. Never, ever been distant. And look at what he says here. He says, my spirit, look at it, verse 5, my spirit is, notice the verb tense. I know that's boring, but it's important. It's present tense. Even though they've just gotten right 51 days before, he says, present tense, my spirit is abiding with you. And that's a great word in the Hebrew. The word means to remain, endure, and hold one's ground. Listen now, the spirit of God, when we live for him, isn't going anywhere. He is going to remain in our midst and he is going to be faithful and he's not going to be moved. And he's ready to minister and encourage and strengthen and comfort and give us what we need based on our faith in Christ. And he says, I'm going to stand my ground Because I'm abiding with you. Isn't that a great promise this morning? Aren't you glad for that promise now? Come on, let's say amen to that. We got to get a little more responsive today. That's the promise of God. I'm going to abide with you, believer. You walk with me. I'm right there. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to be moved. And when you feel like you're going to be moved, I'm not moving. Church, we need to hear that this year. Come on, we got to get out of the doldrums a little bit. God is abiding in our midst and he wants to work. And look at the response back in the verse. He says, because of this, don't fear. My spirit's abiding with you. Don't fear. I'm in your midst. And he says, let me just remind you again about Egypt. 
The prime example of when you were controlled by fear and you were worried and you were constantly complaining. He says, I demonstrated my power and I gave you miraculous deliverance and I gave you everything that I promised and brought you into this land and you squandered it. Now, come on, Israel, don't forget what I've done. I'm with you and I'm abiding in your midst. And that's important when we read the next part. Look back at verses 6 through 9 of chapter 2. We already read them. Here's promise 3. He says, I will shake the nations one more time and will restore my glory among you. Is there any promise that we need to ask for more than this one? We get so focused on ourselves. Listen now. But this is much greater of a need than our needs. Not that God will come through and lay waste all the people that oppose him. Not, no, that's, that's not what is happening here. We need to pray that the nations will be shaken so they will see God's mercy and they will yield to it. We need to pray that the nations will be shaken so that people will get out of their arrogant pride and their spiritual indifference and their complete rebellion against God and they will see the faithful grace of God and they will turn their lives over to Jesus Christ and as that's going on they'll look at the church of Jesus Christ and say those people are walking faithfully with God and they're honoring him with their lives and we want to be part of that we need to pray with less hostility toward the toward the world and more humbleness toward the Lord God shake the nations make your glory be shown one more time before Jesus comes back One more time, revive this land. And while that's happening, the nations need to see that we're living for God. Listen, this city needs nothing more in this new year than that. And we can plan and we can organize and we will and share the gospel with people. But the revival of hearts by God's mercy is a million times more important than our little plans. And it starts with asking the Lord as a church, God, shake this city. God, shake southeast Wisconsin. God, shake this land so that people see your glory. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be here Wednesday night and I'm going to pray for that. We need to pray that God will work. He is watching Harbor Rock Tabernacle to see our priorities and our heart. And he wants to see us crying out to him saying, Lord, please do this work. You're in our midst. Please shake things up. I believe the Lord's stirring us to be so much more active in ministering to our community. I've been praying about some things that the Lord has put on my heart. And I welcome any idea, any idea that you have of how we can minister to people. Because there are needs to be met. There are people that need the gospel. There are children that need discipleship. There are adults that need to be trained. There are hurting people that need to be encouraged. There are people that need to be prayed for. There are blessings that God wants to give us. And we can do projects and special events. But unless we're asking the Lord, Lord, do this work, they are going to fall flat. God wants to stir us. And we need to ask the Lord to shake hearts, including our own. Because look at what he promises in verse 9. This is an unbelievable promise. 
he says, listen now, Judah. The latter glory will be greater than the former. Solomon's temple was an architectural masterpiece. It had tons, tons, T-O-N-S, of gold. It had multiple, multiple tons of silver. It was a building like no other. And look at what God says to the remnant of people that are struggling and staring at the temple that's torn down. He says, the latter glory will be greater than that. And he's not talking about a building. This is a metaphor for what Jesus is going to do. He says, there's going to be a new temple. Remember when Jesus says, this temple is going to be torn down and three later, days later, I'm going to raise it up. And the, and the Pharisees just go crazy. He's going to tear down the temple? Jesus is not talking about the building. He's talking about himself. So God says to Haggai, 500 years before Jesus is born, the latter glory, the new temple that I'm going to bring, my son, my presence in your midst, that's going to be greater than that lousy building. And this is going to be the glory that is going to work. And now God says to you and me as believers, now you're my temple. And I'm indwelling you. And what I want to do is beyond your understanding. Listen, that better get us excited this morning. We can't just sit here, oh, okay. That's what God wants to do in our midst. And he plans, listen, he plans to fulfill that promise. So let's look at the last promise. Go to chapter 2, verse 19. We're almost done. He says, is the seed still in the barn? Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, it has not borne fruit. Yet, from this day on, I will bless you. I'll be with you. I'll abide in your midst. I'm going to shake the nations and do my glory one more time. And here's number four. When those things get right, when you're fearing the Lord and you're taking courage and you're working and you're joyfully abiding in his presence, you're not full of fear, you're calling on my name. When those things happen, here's promise number four. What has not yet borne fruit will bear fruit. And what has not seemed sufficient, I'm going to bless. Now, there is nothing I want more in 2014 than the blessing of the Lord. How many want that? How many agree with that? There is nothing more I want than the blessing of the Lord. On my life, on my family, on my ministry, on this church, on our ministry, on the spiritual health of every single person in this room, there is nothing I want more than the blessing of the Lord. And that makes this, look at it, a very, very exciting verse. Because the God of the universe is saying to us, if you will faithfully love and serve me, and you will rest and abide in my presence, I'm going to bring blessing you don't understand. But notice the core issue as we conclude. There's still some seed in the barn. There's still some seed that has not come out yet. And more importantly, 
it's still there and it hasn't borne fruit. Listen, every single one of us in this room this morning has some seed in the barn. This church has some seed in the barn. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. The bad is the sin that we haven't forsaken and the attitudes that we haven't abandoned and and the control we haven't yielded. And it is time, church, it is time, believer, to empty the barn of those problems. They are corrupting the good seed, and we need to get rid of it, not only because we have to give it over to the Lord, but because he can take that stuff and he can transform it and make it fruitful. God can take all the junk in my life, all the sin in my life, and when I say, Lord, I don't want to hold it anymore, I want to get it out of the barn, God will say, you know what, I'm going to forgive it, I'm going to change it, and I'm going to transform it for my glory. But you got to get rid of it. Some of us are still holding on to sin. I'm passionate about this. Some of us are still holding on to sin. We will not let go of it. I'm not condemning. It's true in my own life. And we got to let go of it. And then he says, there's good seed. But it's got to be emptied out. Look back at the verse one more time. You can close your Bibles. He says, the vines still aren't producing fruit. And the figs and the pomegranates and the olives, they're still not what they should be. Part of it is because you've withheld from me. You've withheld. There is time. There are gifts. There are resources that we're still holding on to. We don't want the Lord to be Lord over them. So we're still clinging to them. And God says, if you will empty that out of your life and you will give it to me, I will change it and I will bless it. Think of all the blessing we have missed in the last year because the seed is still in the barn. We've shortchanged the Lord and we could have been useful for him and we could have allowed him to take possession, but we we clung to it. Think of the prayer that hasn't been answered because we were fearful. And we went to the Lord and we said, Lord, I really need help and I need you to, to, to answer this prayer. But, but I'm still, I'm going to hold on to just a little bit now because I want to guard my heart now against disappointment if you don't answer this like I want to. We know what this is, right? I, I, I'll, I'll give it to you, Lord. I want to yield it to you, but, but I just, let, let me hold a little bit in reserve because I just am not sure that seed in the barn. God says to Haggai, you have the promise. You have the promise. You want proof. But walking by faith, you can't have proof yet. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. In other words, God says, I don't have to always give you proof that I'm going to work. That's why you walk by faith. But I'm telling you what you do have, you have the promise. You have my promise. And as my living temple, because of Jesus Christ, you are called to trust in me. I don't have proof of what God's going to do in my life this year. I don't have proof of what's going to do he's going to do in our church. I don't know what he's going to do in our midst. I don't know where in a year we're going to be because I'm not psychic. I'm not a prophet. 
But here's what we do have. We have the promise of God. He says, I'll be with you. And I'll abide in your midst. And I will shake the nations. And I'll restore my glory. And if you walk with me, I will bless you. And I will produce abundant fruit. I I can't think of anything better we can start with the year than that. The promise of God. Oh, church, there's so much the Lord wants to do in our midst. There's so much. Let's close our eyes. What are you still holding on to this morning? What's the seed that's still in the barn? Maybe it is corrupt seed. Sin. Pride. Control. Fear. Seed that doesn't produce fruit. Seed that just lays there and decays. We all have bad seed. It is time for us to empty the barn of our lives of that seed. It is time to abandon control and abandon our priorities and hand it to the Lord and say, God, you are Lord of my life. You need to be Lord of my life. Whatever that is this morning, if I'm talking to you, if the Spirit's speaking to your heart right now, You need to go before the Lord and confess that to him and say, Lord, I'm tired of this corrupting me. I'm tired of this controlling me. I've got to give it to you now. Not another minute, not another day of holding on to this. I've got to give it to you and I'm asking you to transform it. I I challenge you. I encourage you. I exhort you. I plead with you. Do that this morning. You will never be free. You will never be what God intends you to be if that is still a part of your life and you've got to abandon it. And then for the other half of our lives, we have good seed and it's sitting in the barn. Maybe it's a priority of time. Maybe it's resources and money that we're holding on to. Maybe it is just an unwillingness to serve. I don't know what it is. I'm not here to judge. I'm just trying to lay out the options. God wants to take that seed and he wants to bless it. He's standing right here waiting for us. We have to give it all to him. Because as we hold it in reserve, we're saying to him, I don't want to give it to you. No man putting his hand to the plow can look backwards. If anything else is more important than me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Those are Jesus' words. God has so much potential for what he wants to do in our midst and in our lives and in our families and in our church. He has so much potential and he's waiting. He's waiting. Lord, we put ourselves in your hands this morning. 
we ask you to do a mighty work in our midst. And Lord, you've already given us the promises. You've already told us what you'll do. Now it's our responsibility to hand it to you and say, Lord, do your work. And when you do, you've already promised thousands of years ago that you will do amazing things. So, Lord, challenge us this morning and confront us and convict us to move away from self and to yield ourselves to you. And, Lord, we are going to give you so much praise and so much glory. We should give it to you now. But as you begin to move, Lord, our hearts are going to be changed and we're going to see you do magnificent things that your glory would be spread throughout this world. Lord, help us because the devil's going to put fear in our hearts and he's going to cause us to be restrained. And he's going to tell us to delay action. None of that's good. Now is the time. Move in our midst, we pray. And we'll give you praise. We thank you for what you've already done. We thank you for what you've promised to do. And we look with great anticipation for how you're going to work. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.